With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. My name is Harriet Kamek. I'm the host. And today being Tuesday, it's going to be a terrific Tuesday, first of all. And secondly, it's, it's actually Tuesday, the 29th of September. And I can't believe that. Here in Michigan, the weather is iffy. You know how Michigan weather is. It goes up and down. And for years, I thought I would move back to Florida. Uh, not going to happen. I can't deal with all that hurricane stuff. I think I'm stuck with the Midwest for nothing. But today is the 29th. So that means it's about 34 days left for the November general elections. And I know a lot of folks around me have not received their mail-in ballots. So at some point, we're going to have to go to the post office and start asking what earth is going on, because people actually, a lot of people elected to vote by mail-in ballots this turnaround, because it just looks like it might be easier. But, you know, Trump and DeJoy and the USPS, the USPS, y'all, whoever thought the post office would have trouble? Whoever thought that? I mean, the post office has always been the post office. And now, here we are. Every institution that we hold and treasure has had some kind of come up with, with this guy. But today I have a very important guest. I have a special guest. His name is Dennis Campbell. He's going to come on and we've been talking about the cost of racism and what it costs and what racism has cost people of color in particular. And yesterday I came across a story on, uh, I think it was the Atlantic, and we I found out that the British National Trust, so, how, how you know, just like here in America, we have a National Registry of Historic Homes. Well, in Britain, they have what is called a National Trust. And it keeps uh, older homes or homes that are, have historic value. And what they did was they exposed who owned these homes. And what we found was a lot of these people, 29 of the 93 homes listed actually have some racist past. They were owned by people who traded in slaves, trafficked in human slavery, people who profited from the Atlantic slave trade and profited from the trafficking that arose as a result of trafficking Black people from Africa into the Caribbean to work in unpaid labor for centuries so that white people could be enriched, right? So that caused an uproar there. But when I read it, I was like, well, since I'm a descendant of, 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 of Africans from the Caribbean, maybe I should own some of those homes. I mean, don't they, you think they owe us some money? So with that in mind, I invited my friend Dennis Campbell, who lives in the United Kingdom, who's going to shed some light on this. And then, of course, after Dennis leaves, we're going to talk about your zip code and your race. Again, the cost of racism, how your zip code and your race determines whether the IRS will audit you. We're going to talk about that. So let's welcome Dennis Campbell to Down to Earth. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, can you hear I'm me? Good. <laughs> yes, I can hear you. You're loud and clear. Okay, good. Good, well, good, good. So you've learned that you folks have been 
taking a att- paying attention to our national trust in the 93 properties that have slavery and uh, uh, other colonialism uh, roots. Apparently, the the funny thing about this is that here in America we don't get uh, world news as much as we should, unless people are firing shots or something. And so this was kind mm-hmm. of delayed. I, I gather that it happened some time ago. The story happened some time ago, but we're just now getting it. Uh, otherwise, I would have caught it. <laughs> so tell us, how, tell us how that happened in, in, in Britain. How did people feel about that? Well, you have to understand that, that you know, we're an island, first and foremost. And, and because we're an island, most everything that we have has to come through trade, and most of that trade has to come through ships. And, uh, you know, where I live in the south coast of Wales, uh, you know, there was a tremendous amount of ships that went back and forth during the spice trade. So uh, they would, you know, ships would leave from Bristol, which is a, a very large port. They'd uh, head out around the, the horn of uh, of uh, Africa and, and find their way over to India and other places to, you know, trade in tea and spices and things of that sort. Uh, mm-hmm. Funny story here in Wales is that the Welsh had no respect for these for these uh, English uh, sailors. So what the uh, Welsh farmers would do is that they would uh, take out the lighthouse at St. Donat's Point, which is a fairly uh, important place because there's a seven mile long sandbar. And oh. uh, they would tie the uh, lanterns, lanterns to the tails of sheep that were grazing up atop the cliff tops. And of course, the ships would head towards the light so they could see where they were because navigation back then wasn't what it was. And before they realized uh, their error, they were crashed on the rocks down below. And uh, one of our favorite pubs, the Plough and Harrow, has uh, been made totally from the timbers of these ships coming back and forth and the 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 dead were stored in the bakehouse, and apparently uh, several of the uh, buildings in that uh, vicinity are considered to be haunted and sightings of ghosts and things of that sort. So we have a very mm-hmm. colorful history in this country. <laughs> apparently. It just sounds even more colorful as, as, as time goes by. But what is the mood in Britain like right now? Because after George Floyd, I called it the summer of strife here in the U.S., I did observe on the BBC, I follow the BBC on Instagram, I did observe that a number of people uh, in Britain were just as caught up in the movement of change. And they toppled over a statue of, was it Lord Nelson? Jesus, help me. I should never call him Lord. Well, the, 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 one, the one that um, was closest to us was uh, Edwin Colston, um, who was known as a slave trader. But obviously, you know, you have a lot of famous buildings and streets named after people in these countries and uh, in this mm-hmm. country and in England. You, you just don't know who they are. And apparently the, the big statue of Edwin that sat in Bristol Harbor was toppled down and into the water. And I mean, he Colston Hall, which is a major art center and, and Colston Street and, and way and such. There's just everywhere you look, there are these names from the past that you don't really know what the history is. And I think during the summer of Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, it became a thing over here as well. And in response to George Floyd, um, when we saw a lot of iconic southern United States uh, um, statues and, uh, and, and the stars and bars, the Confederate flag uh, going into disfavor, well, the same thing was happening here with people whose past and heritage were, you know, made from 
uh, trading of humans. And, uh, you know, this country was, was one of the last, I think uh, the Netherlands was the last to stop the practice of trafficking in human beings. And uh, that history is not anything that uh, people here are proud of at all. Wow. So people are not proud of it, unlike what's happening back here in the States. But we'll talk about that another time. But uh, it's kind of fortuitous, I think. It, it makes the argument, I believe, that when you see how descendants of people who trafficked in slaves, as you put it, people who were human traffickers, uh, who profited from the trade of human trafficking. When you see how their their descendants rather have uh, continued to generate intergenerational wealth, whereas the descendants of the people who were trafficked have not, uh, it makes the case then for some sort of coming to Jesus. It's kind of like a come to Jesus moment. We have to reckon with this. Do we give people back some of the money that was earned? Is it reparations? Is it going to be more than it's, it's a reckoning thing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, there's, there's, there's some of that. I mean, you know, the national trust is, is something that is fairly well revered in this country. And, and again, not everybody that, that, you know, was uh, part of this national, this uh, national trust as well as the housing and such were slave traders. But uh, as I said, there were a number of them and, and, and they rose to the occasion with a, with a very robust response. They talked about, you know, how the wealth of a number of owners of our places and collections came directly from owning sugar plantations and the enslaved people who worked them. Uh, they talked about Richard Pennant from the 1730s, uh, died mm. in 1808. He owned Pen- Estates and, and invested the proceeds from the six plantations he owned in Jamaica and the hundreds of slaves, people who worked there, into the slate mines in his estate in Gwinnett, Wales. So I mean, there is lots of uh, history where there's these intersections of what went on in the States, what went on in the Caribbean. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it, you start to see that there are all these uh, connections. And obviously the National Trust uh, decries any of that, but uh, they also want to set the record straight. They want people to know exactly, you know, they talk about their collections in slavery. And, you know, they say some mm-hmm. of our collections included objects made or owned by enslaved people. And they're not proud of it. They just did, but they're letting people know that this is part of the past. I mean, it goes all the way to the furniture of Thomas Chippendale, the famous Chippendale furniture. So uh, they really do try to, um, you know, explain what happened here as well as connections with trade in the East India Company, which was part of the spice trade that I mentioned earlier. So while they're not proud of it, I think to a much greater extent than what you see in the USA, at least they stand up and say this was wrong. And uh, mm-hmm. we're no longer going to honor those traditions, whereas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you look at Charlottesville and uh, some of the other parts of the southern United States, they, they, mm-hmm. they really feel aggrieved that their history is being taken away. Well, it's not their history. It's our history. It happened to us and to our people. So, you know, I do understand that. And I do understand the outrage. And, uh, you know, when we had those Black Lives Matter movements, it was interesting to see that. You know, there are all sorts of people 
uh, you know, and, and it's not just slaveholders. I mean, Robert Clive, you know, he used wealth and armies to forcibly invade and conquer the Indian subcontinent to exploit the rich natural resources out there. It's not mm-hmm. anything that we're proud of. And, and when they say that the sun shall never set on the British Empire, there are some 90 Commonwealth nations that, you know, have uh, for one reason or another left the Commonwealth, but some of them were subjugated rather brutally, particularly India. Uh, and, and what Gandhi was able to do to, to rise up a nation of nearly a million people to uh, sort of stand on their own and become an independent nation. And it's it's serious stuff. And, and um, you know, it's good that our history is not being forgotten and that we're really you know, doing what we need to do to, to step up. I think I think that's an interesting perspective. And you you are more generous than I would have been in the summary of those activities, because as a, when I look at it, especially I live in the U.S., and when I, because of my tenure here and my experiences here and the intersectionalities that I encounter as a person, as a woman, as an immigrant, and as a descendant of people who came from shithole countries, as Donald Trump uh, referred to it, those intersectionalities, when they intersected into my life experience were not pleasant, obviously. My daughter, for instance, no. is, a, is, is a graduate of, of law, is a law school graduate. She's actually sat the Michigan bar. And white, the white, her white friend who graduated law school with her, who did not yet pass the bar, was hired in by a company and paid $55,000 a year. My daughter was offered 30, less than $30,000 a year with a corresponding yeah. uh, degree. Do you see what I'm saying? So that intersectionality plays out and translates in real time. I think, to be honest with you, Dennis, what we're oh, it's seeing... Also, it's also gender-related, Harriet. And it's also gender-related. I mean, and we have all sorts of issues of the same sort of thing going on here. I mean, you know, just look at what's happened. And I know you talked about this in your last show, the Windrush Generation. I mean, these are these are people who came to this country, you know, the 40s, 50s, and the 60s, uh, to do the jobs that nobody here wanted to do. They drove our buses, they cleaned our hospitals, they did the things that nobody, you know, wanted to do that were that were living here, and then to be suddenly turned around by the, you know, Theresa May government and before her the David Cameron government and told, no, you're not citizens, and and we're going to send you back. Well, back. This is the only place I've ever known. It's like the DACA kids. You know, the yeah. United States is the only place yeah. I've ever lived in. And, you yeah. know, so it's, it, there is hypocrisy. There is an awful lot of problem. And, and, and I did not mean to minimize in any way the past of, of what's actually gone on, but it is very, very serious. It is. And I think, I think what the undercurrent that when I listen to my daughter, who is a millennial, I have two daughters. One is a millennial and one is Generation Z. Right. And when I listen to them, their generation's perspectives on, on these intersections that are that are happening to them and that are that have happened, they have a whole different perspective than than my generation, my Gen, Gen X generation. We tend to we went along to get along. We didn't stir it up. We didn't we, we kind of thought, well, if we do what they say then it will minimize the damage. This generation, however, the millennials and Generation Z, they're not about to put up with it. And their message to me when I listen to my daughter's friends, when I ask them, how do you feel about being who you are 
today in this society within the context of how the society chooses to define you. I kid you not. They're adamant, not just about change, but the means to effect that change. And they tell me that we have seen what you and your parents did, and it didn't work, so we're going to do something different. And that's where well, I, I, mean, we, I look at. I, I look at the same situation of. of, of um, I mean, I was a child of the '60s and '70s, and we 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 lived through, um, you know, the Voting Rights Act and and the, the anti discrimination movement and Dr. King and others, and and you look at that situation and, and you come out with a uh, respect for how far we have come. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of fear as well as that it, that it can all be taken away as, you know, in some respects, what we've seen under Trump is that, you know, that, that there is this group and movement of people who basically were forced back underneath a rock when President Obama, the, the first black U.S. president, came into power. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden under Trump, they're not only out from under the rock, they're sitting on top of it sunning and, and they're making... <laughs> You know, hell for people of color everywhere. And it's good that the younger generation, having seen the difference, is saying, bullshit, we're not going to stand for that. And and that's great. Congratulations to the millennials. And I hope they keep fighting because, you know, there are so many people that do not understand the parallels and do not see that Trump, you know, and, and Hitler have similar rise up uh, uh, roots and, and uprisings and and, and they, they have absolutely no reference yeah. to six million jews being killed yeah. so it's good yeah. that the history is there we're teaching them and that they're rising up congrats yes yeah. absolutely because uh, one of the strangest things that i have had to live through and endure this past these past four years is the correlation between nazism and what i saw being played out in real time in america something I never thought I would ever live to see in the United States. I saw it almost as if I were reading Hitler's playbook. You got to understand, let me put it in context for everybody. I was married to a very abusive man. I should have known he was abusive because when I met him, the first book he handed me to read was, guess what? Mein Kampf, Hitler's book. (laughs) I I kid you not. He said, that's a manifesto. What was, your, sec- what was your second warning sign? <laughs> <laughs> the second warning was that, was asking me where I was coming from. So that's control. <laughs> and, okay. I mean, you you got to understand that terrified. When I read it, I should have. But, you know, you're young. You're, you're foolish. You think love conquers all. So you didn't really realize that he was telling you that this was a lifestyle. Well, so I read Mein Kampf. And I recall it very carefully, because very well, because I, when Trump started, I saw all the correlation. I saw all these people come out from under a rock. Let me tell you, I run a nonprofit called the Exodus Foundation. Our, our goal is to provide services to a specific demographic, the population of women who were trafficked from their children and who are now homeless. A real need exists here in, in America, but especially where I live in Detroit, Michigan. I could not get funding from the federal government under Trump. You know what they did? They took all the extra money out of the Office of Justice programs, and instead of giving it to NGOs like myself, they gave it to state's attorney generals, which means you don't get the money, so it goes to law enforcement. So you have to befriend the state police and the machinery of law enforcement in order to get any kind. I kid you not. So all across the country, NGOs, 
who provide services because he didn't understand government. He didn't understand that the government is a big apparatus and to serve the people, the government not only does it to its various machinations, but it also does it through non-government organizations. Maybe he and his friends sat there and thought, wow, we could get that money and pay right consultancy fees or whatever. But you know what was the interesting thing? The interesting thing that somebody, a grant writer, had to point out to me is that the people who were granting and decreeing the grants were a group of who? White people. White women who sat down and determined that under Trump, because he had awakened this monstrosity of racism that we've been trying to eradicate for hundreds of years, suddenly they were empowered now to turn their racism and weaponize it against people like myself. I kid you not. I kid you not. No. So, and it's, it's, it's not just there in the States either. It's, it's, it's everywhere across Europe. I mean, here in the UK, we have the UKIP party, the UK Independence Party, which is, you know, basically a, you know, the British National Party and, and the, you know, the British Liberation Front came together to form this. I mean, these are white nationalists, white supremacists, neo-Nazi skinheads. Uh, you know, if you look at what's happened with the rise in France or potential rise of, of a Marie Le Pen, uh, of the, you know, far right coming to, you know, coming to power or trying to come to power in Austria, uh, it already taking over in Poland where there is a despot, Belarus, other places that, you know, we're, we're former Soviet in some instance or, or, or controlled by the Soviet Union. It is it is a real problem of people who feel aggrieved, feel that people and immigrants, uh, our immigrants come from, you know, Africa and Northern Africa and the Middle East, uh, you know, are coming in and taking over our jobs. That's that's their line. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, these are people who, you know, when they get here are just trying to, to, to get by. I mean. I mean, when, when you have somebody who was a surgeon in his home country be your Uber driver or your taxi driver, you think, God, that's just absolutely disgusting that mm-hmm. you know, these people who have great credentials in medicine or teaching or other areas mm-hmm. cannot mm-hmm. even get jobs here mm-hmm. because of that. So, you know, we're, we're, we're no nirvana, but we are doing better in some respects. And it is simply a matter of you know, do you get a Donald Trump-like leader in, in this country or in another country, and do they then, you know, take over? And uh, it, it becomes a real problem. And I, I, you know. what, Can I just ask you this? What do you think about that? I have yeah. wanted to ask you to kind of jolt you for a little bit because I read a report recently about the rise of Nazism in, in, uh, in Germany, that their security forces were found to have been infiltrated by them. And uh, there were a group of people. Well, so does the U.S. military. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I you know, white work. supremacists are all over the U.S. Army and military. So you think it's everywhere because, you know, what, what, what's the, what is the, 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 the guidepost here for being in these forces is that these are people who, want to do something and they find that the military is their best option to advance themselves, perhaps get an education when they get out. It's a way of advancement. It's a way of learning a skill and a trade. And not many people pay attention to the profile of some of these people that are joining these groups and what are some of the subversive activities that go on underneath. So, I mean, yeah, and, and that's kind of dangerous because they've got the guns and the ammunition and, the, and, and, and everything else. So, it's, yeah, it is it very is. scary. 
It is very scary. It, uh, recently, I saw floating on, I can't recall which news feed it was, but a group of people calling themselves the disciples of Trump who live in Germany and who were touting Trumpism, that Trump is mm-hmm. their, their new leader. And they were white supremacists yeah. who felt that Germany needed to belong to the people who came from uh, uh, Bavaria or whatever. Just, you know, just, just forgive me. They're I'm not alone. Different. They're not alone, yeah. Harriet. I mean, if you, I mean, I'm going to be on a, um, I was asked to be on a, a program on the day, the night after the election, which is debuting here called uh, Wales Live, and it'll be on after the evening news. And we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about the election on the 4th of November on, that happened on the 3rd. <laughs> and one of the things the host was having difficult finding was people living in Europe who are Trump supporters. My reaction was, well, duh, they're not ever going to leave their country. They don't have a passport. They don't even think the world exists beyond our own borders. And, you know, trying to find people, he said he joined a Facebook group just to see what was there. And the minute he said, I'm from the BBC, I'm looking to see if I can find some Trump supporters. People piled on top of my book, fake news, enemy of the people. And that is the insulated isolated insular world that they live in that yeah. if anybody comes in from the outside they've got to be a traitor we can't trust them we can't trust anything mm-hmm. well you know as you mentioned the november elections here take place on november 3rd god only knows when mm-hmm. the count will actually finish based on the uh travails of the usbs and coronavirus and so on i'm, I'm actually pretty optimistic that that um, in several states because of early voting Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that you're going to get a pretty good count and idea of what's going on on the night. Uh, Ohio is already counting ballots; they're already voting. Same with Florida, and I have to tell you that if Ohio and Florida go for Biden, it's game over. Okay, <laughs> and you know anything anything that he tries to do after that is just going to be futile because it will have been wrapped up in two eastern states, probably. By the ten o'clock hour, and so you're, yeah. you know, and I don't, and I think, I, I think, I think Joe is going to steamroll over the Midwest, and then if he happens to pick up Georgia, Texas, or Arizona, those are just icing on the cake. I, I know. I, mean, I saw something today from from Cook Political Report, which is the most conservative uh, uh, political report there is out there, polling organization, that Biden's sitting there at. 300 and something, five, I think, electoral yeah, votes. Yeah, electoral uh, votes. And Trump is at that. 154. And, yeah, yeah, and it's I like, and this is, this is how it's been, though, since December. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed. And everybody's thinking, oh, you know, what if Joe falls over and stuff? Nothing no. will change because yeah. Trump is so abhorrent. And people, yeah. I mean, and, and this is what I do is I look at averages of polls and, and, and dive mm-hmm. into the numbers and do a deep dive. And Joe is building one a hell of a coalition out there, you know, and, and is adding in people left and right so that we can get things done and move the country forward again and cut out the crap that we've been living under. For I can't begin years. to tell you. I want to go back. If you if anybody who has been watching me for some time, my eyes are dark under my eyes. I have not slept in four years. And that it's due to Donald Trump. From the day he won the elections, I have not had a good night's sleep. I have been worried. <laughs> terrified that he was going to sell the country out to Russia, that I was going to wake up one day and Russia would tell me I have to start speaking Russian or something. I'm serious. I was worried that he would tear down the structures that made America America. 
uh, taking away yeah. gradual. I woke up one morning. I woke. I, I wrote yesterday on Twitter. I said, I, I, I want to wake up and know that my first waking thought is not one of sheer terror. Oh, my God, what has he done now? <laughs> I want to wake up one morning and just say, thank you, Lord, for deliverance. <laughs> That's what I want to say, deliver us, because it's been 35 days. 35 days. 35, I'm counting. Dennis Campbell, thank you so much for your contribution to our show this morning. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Well, my friends, what do you think about all of that, huh? Uh, I do think that we have to pay some attention to these white nationalists. I don't believe that they're going to go away. I believe, as Dennis said, they're all over. They're all over Europe. I do uh, believe that they are going to fight and they're going to find a way to maintain their posture that they are relevant and significant to our modern way of life and our modern thinking. But a story came out yesterday in the wake of the revelations that uh, Mr. Trump, who is a billionaire, did not pay taxes for 10 years. And when he did pay taxes in 2015 and 2016, he paid $750, which is more than a slap in the face. It's an insult to most of us. I mean, undocumented immigrants pay more in federal taxes. The same group of people who are demonized pay more in federal taxes than a billionaire. It says a lot about our, our, our taxation system, doesn't it? It says a lot about how we view people how we, and definitely how we tax people. So I read a report on uh, ProPublica, and I'm going to read it for you and, uh, because I found it to, to, to be quite disturbing. Uh, this report is on ProPublica, and we're talking about how racist the system of taxation is and how it is stacked against poor people. The poorest county in the country, the poorest state in the country, Humphreys County, Mississippi, the state that has the highest poverty level, the state where Republicans rule because of redlining and gerrymandering, they control the districts where people vote. That's how racist this thing is. They go to Washington and they vote against programs and social programs that will help lift their people out of poverty. Mississippi also happens to be the state that has the most black people who live in America live in Mississippi. Therefore, this county, this state is as racist as they come. Yet the IRS taxes people in Humphreys County, Mississippi, more than any other county. It, it, it seems like it seems like that it, that shouldn't even happen, but it does. The earned income tax credit, the EITC, anybody who has children in America, when you file your taxes, you claim it. It is designed to help all of us especially if you earn under 50000 per year. It's designed to help us to get over. I have benefited from the EITC when I had young children years ago. But the IRS uses the EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, to audit people in Mississippi. Guess what's the average median income? $26,000. Comparatively speaking, Lowell County, Luton County, uh, Virginia, 
where the average, where the median income is $130,000, mostly white, does not see the level of audit from the IRS. Well, it's paid out in real time. You can't tell us how all of these exposures are showing us just how intrinsic the racism is and how systemized, how institutionalized it resides in our institutions to the extent where people just seem to not be able to get over it. Like, how do you move? You live in, in Humphreys County, Mississippi. You, your parents barely earn $26,000 a year. How are you going to get out of that? You, they tax your parents to the teeth, right? Because low-income people pay more taxes than rich people. Donald Trump passed tax laws that benefit the rich. If Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and other billionaires were to pay taxes, they wouldn't be billionaires. Do you realize that? It's the Reaganomics who started this program of taxation that has benefited the rich over time that is making America slowly go broke. It's that systemic racism that is so intrinsic and so institutionalized that it's actually hard to get out of. And now we have a country where our infrastructure is falling apart, but at the same time, you have rich people getting richer because they don't pay taxes. So as much money as they earn on their goods and services, they don't pay taxes on it. So they keep earning more and more. And you read stories like Bezos, Elon Musk, the Walton family made more money during the pandemic and got richer during the pandemic because they sell goods and services on Amazon.com and Walmart.com. And guess what? They don't pay jack in taxes. But somebody in Humphreys County, Mississippi, who earns $26,000 a year, $17,000 a year, can't even get their earned income tax credit because the IRS audits you. The IRS has enough time. They have so much time on their hands. I hope they're hearing us. I want you to hear us. You have so much time on your hands that you are auditing poor people, but you're not auditing billionaires. The racism jumped out right in front of us. If I don't pay taxes for 10 years and I don't file taxes for 10 years, the IRS is going to come looking for me after a year or two. But you have a man who didn't pay taxes for 10 years, who campaigned, lives in the White House, and is your boss now. He was your boss before for the 10 years preceding him living in the White House, and you don't say anything to him? Don't tell me that's not racism. That is as racist as they come. So we need to really examine the tax laws. We need to go back to the tax laws because we have to tax people commensurate with what you earn. There is no reason why a minimum wage worker. I looked at my youngest daughter's tax returns. Yeah, because she filed taxes because she worked last year. She had a little job so she could go get her hair done and her nails done. And you know how young people are. They want to go get everything under the sun. And I looked at it. She said to me the other day, she said, Mommy. She's like, Mom. I pay, look how much I paid in taxes compared to what a billionaire pays. It is unbelievable. All of these things are just pointing out the cost of racism. All it is doing is bringing us to the nexus to show us how racism is costing black Americans our lives. It is costing black Americans who live not just in Humphreys County, Mississippi, but everywhere else. It's costing us our very livelihoods. It's costing us how we live. It's time for a change. This 
has got to change. And we have to start with the very systems and institutions that propagate white supremacy and white power to the belief and to the extent we're at the intersection of our lives. It damages us. This just can't be. This is not equitable. We just can't tax poor people to death. It, it, it's like my daughter is a lawyer. It's like she says, she says this. She says that the law is really designed to keep poor people in place and imprison poor people and rich people get away with it. And we, we've become sitting ducks. We kind of just sit back and just say, oh, my God, I don't, I'm not rich. I'm not a billionaire. I don't have any power. Stop thinking your power is in your vote. We still have power in this country before they take our democracy away. You've got to make sure that you are engaged and your voice is heard so when you bawl and open your mouth, they're going to run back. We cannot just sit back. If for the first time in years, I see somebody is actually challenging Mitch McConnell's seat in Kentucky, and I'm like, yes, yes, we have to force it so they see that they can continue to ram systemic racism down our throats. I don't know what they're so afraid of. I don't know how you thought that you were going to hold on to power when the majority in your numbers have been slipping for a while. Yeah, you can all come and hack my computer and try to listen to me. Have fun with that. What you're going to find, some pictures, have fun viewing them. Do you see what I'm saying? Because everything that I am, I tell you straight up, right up front. But do you see what I'm saying? We've got to get to the stage where we stop. We stop allowing American institutions to continue to impose on Americans this unfair advantage that they give white rich people a chance and leave poor people in the dust. It's got to stop. You don't tax a man who claims to be a billionaire, whether he's a billionaire or not. The fact of the matter is he has more than a million dollars. He's worth more than a million dollars. And you don't tax him for 10 years. You know exactly where he lives. You know all his addresses. You know that he even lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And you don't send him a bill for taxes due. But you audit people earning $26,000 a year. He makes $26,000 per second. People who make $26,000 in one year. If this does not sound like the Hunger Games enacted to you, I don't know what is. This is the cost of racism. Where the very institutions and the very social programs that have been implemented to offset the poverty in people's lives are the very things that are taxed to the dust. How? How? Just how? I, I, as much as I like to have a worldview, I am looking at America. This is my country. This is where I live. This is a country that I love. This is where my children live. And my grandchildren will live here. And my family live here. I have nieces and nephews and uncles and brothers, some of whom worked here so long, they're buried in New York and Florida and all over the place. So my family are here. This is our land. We claim this. This is our land because we worked for it. We paid for it. My mother worked herself to death in America to pay taxes, barely earning $57,000 a year to lift herself out of poverty. And yet she paid more in taxes when I looked at her tax returns than a billionaire or a man who claims to be a billionaire pays. There is something inequitable and it's totally legal. I suppose that eventually Trump is going to get into trouble with the claims that he made and the deductions he made. 
The fact of the matter is that he thought he could get away with it because he was rich and white. Meanwhile, people in Humphreys County, Mississippi, you can read the story on ProPublica. I'll publish the link to the story later. That authenticates the lived experiences of descendants of slaves, of black slaves, of enslaved people who were brought to this country are being taxed to the dust. Doesn't that sound a little bit racist to you that even as the slavery is supposedly over, just taking on another form, that's all it is, even as Jim Crow is over, even as civil rights is over, we enter into another period where they're going to tax you out. They're going to make sure that you don't get what you're supposed to get. You, you try to send your kids to college, and then after they graduate, they can't get a job, even though they have degrees. Or you have a master's degree, and they want to pay you $15 an hour. My daughter was going through some interviews during the pandemic, and I was like, so who is going to pay those student loans when they come due? They're going to pay you that to pay off those student loans? I'm like, I think not. I said, I think not. Not happening. I'm like, demand. Make a demand. If they don't pay, keep on moving to the next one. The problem is that we can't always do that because our par- their parents don't always have the infrastructure to support them while they have the luxury of choice and the luxury of demanding that things change. And I said to her, at some point, you're going to have to stand up. Whether you live or die, whether you eat or you don't, you're going to have to stand up. Because until someone stands up to it, it's not going to change. And that's exactly what happened. She stood up to it and they had to do what they did what she asked. Why should you have to fight for it, though? Do you see what I'm saying? Because it is a bill that has become due. And I fear that we're entering into a season where there is going to be a reckoning, where the next generation, they're not going to put up with it. My youngest daughter wants to be a doctor. So she's studying uh, pre-med at a university here in, in Michigan. Right? And this is her agreement with me. She said, I want to become a doctor. She has wanted to do this since she was two. So she said, here's what I'm going to do. She said, the racism is so endemic and so institutionalized, even in medicine. She says, here's what I'm going to do. When I get my medical degree, I am going to New York, and I'm going to join Doctors Without Borders. And I'm going to take my medical skills to another country that will appreciate where my skills can help somebody else. She says, I'm not about to fight the institutionalized racism in hospitals and health systems. She says, they don't want me to start that fight. So she says, for my own peace of mind, this is something that this 17-year-old kid said. You know what? As her parent, I had to sit back and say, she's right. That is her lived experience. That is what she saw her parents and grandparents have to endure. And so she determined in her mind that as empowered she will be with her medical degree, the system, the institutionalized system of racism is not going to let her be herself. It's not going to let her be empowered. It's not going to let her profit from the the, the rewards of her labor. It's time out for that. And if we don't talk about what your zip code and your race has to do with the IRS auditing you. What does that even mean? Why should that be the issue? Why should that be the nexus under which 
this whole system falls. Why? If that is the case, then why aren't you taxing the people who live on the avenues of the Americas? As, as Michael Cohen said this morning in his CNN interview, he said he paid $3 million in taxes. That's Mr. Trump's former lawyer. He paid more in taxes than his boss, who is a billionaire. And he said he did 36 months for tax evasion. He can't begin to imagine if anything will ever happen to Mr. Trump. My question is, what about the people in Humphreys County, Mississippi? whom the IRS audited unnecessarily to prove people had to go to extreme lengths and hire law tax accountants and tax lawyers. They already don't have the money, so much so that a nonprofit had to be formed to help people who have been audited by the IRS to prove that the children whom they're claiming on their tax return are actually theirs. Meanwhile, a billionaire can claim $70,000 in tax deductions for his haircut. I probably pay a pretty good sum of money for doing my hair, my nails, my manicure, my pedicure, my eyebrows, which haven't been done since the pandemic started, uh, spa treatments, facials, and all kinds of personal uh, improvement uh, uh, activities, shall we say. I probably have paid more in that. I should probably start, I'm, you know what? Next time I get my hair done, I'm going to ask my status. Make sure you give me my receipt. I'm going to start saving them and claiming them. Because if he can claim $70,000 for a haircut on his tax returns, by God, I can claim getting my daughter's hair done. I should be claiming that all those years when I was raising children by myself, and I was raising them and getting their hair done and taking them out to eat and making sure, yeah, I should claim their hair. I took them to get manicures so they would feel girly. I took them to do everything. I took them shopping to make sure they had everything they needed. I should claim that. If a billionaire can do it, I don't see why I can't. It's time for a revision of the tax code. It's time for this whole systemic racism that is redlining districts and gerrymandering that has contributed to the poverty rates in this country. And these things need to be examined. It's not people need to go out and vote. Yes, you better go out there and vote. But you also need to pay attention to who you're voting for and what they're doing and start making demands. Don't just sit back, start making demands. I go on my Facebook page and I see where people are saying, well, I'm not going to vote for Biden because he said something 20 or 30 years ago. And I'm like, you're going to vote for Trump, who in real time just told you what he's going to do and how he's going to make sure that black people don't have a voice. You realize that that's what's coming. So keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Why, these are the issues. Why is it that black graduates with college degrees are earning less than white graduates with college degrees? Systemic racism, the implicit unconscious biases that employers have who are white, they hire the white person. Look at the CEO of Wells Fargo. He shouldn't have a job. The CEO of Wells Fargo says that he can't believe he doesn't have black people around him because he doesn't believe that that kind of talent exists in black people. Why does he have a job? You know how he can say something like that so freely? Under Trumpism. Trumpism allowed that to proliferate. It's time to change the dynamic. We've got to get to the point where we start changing these things because we can't move forward when we're still, we're still being held back. 
by this baggage of racism that white supremacy brought to us. It's time for a change. What does your zip code and your race have to do with a tax audit? Interesting, isn't it? Let me read you some numbers before I go. So Humphreys County, Mississippi is the most heavily audited county in America based upon the fact that people who claim the EITC, which is available to all taxpayers under 50 grand per year, the EITC is the earned income tax credit where you can claim eligible children, right? Okay, the median income in Humphreys County is 26,000, but they're taxed more heavily and audited more heavily. Loudoun County, Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia, the median income is $130,000, mostly white. They don't, get, they don't get audited so much. The five counties with the highest audit rates are all predominantly black and rural in the deep south. The five counties in the entire country that are predominantly uh, uh, audited are all predominantly black. They have the highest audits. They're all predominantly black. They're rural in the deep south. The lowest audit rates exist in middle income, largely white, generally in largely white communities. Generally, the IRS audits taxpayers. You ready for this? The IRS audits taxpayers with income from 50000 to to 100000 the least. You all ready for that? So the more money you earn is the less likely that you'll be audited. Mississippi has the highest audit rate in the country, and yet it is the poorest state in the country. What does your zip code and your race have to do with a tax audit? Yet the IRS says, well, we tax all taxpayers. No, you don't. There's no equity in that. There's no equity in how. And, and, and here's the thing. In counties with the highest audit rates, there were about 11 audits per 1,000 tax returns which is more than 40% above the national average. Do you see what I'm saying? So there is no question that this happens. The real question is, when will we get past systemic racism that even in something, in the era of George Floyd, we are uncovering how massive and pervasive systemic racism is. It's not just in the police force. It's not just in law enforcement. It's not just in the criminal justice system. It's not a, there's no justice, by the way. It's not just in the justice system. It's not just in healthcare. We've discovered that with uh, the pandemic. We've been seeing it for years now, but nobody believes justice. There is no justice. There's racism in healthcare. We're now finding that even with something as common as your taxes, we find that a billionaire can get away with not paying taxes for 10 years then pay $750 on a billion dollars worth of income. And a poor person in Humphreys County, Mississippi, with income of $26,000, will be audited for his earned income tax credit. My name is Harriet Kimmick. Thank you so much. This has been Down to Earth. I want to thank you so much for being our guest this morning. Shout out to Dennis Campbell, a notable journalist in Cardiff, Wales, who joined us all the way from the UK this morning. I am so thrilled. And thanks to all of you who continue to support our podcast. Our podcast is heard daily. You can always download episodes from Apple, 
Spotify, and Google, as well as your favorite podcast platform. Shout out to the people on Spreaker and to the people on Breaker and the people at iHeartRadio who allow us to be streamed and to the folks on some of my favorite podcast platforms. Thank you so much to Block Talk Radio. And to those of you who continue to support our podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.